I invite your attention this morning, if you have your Bible, to uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 23 to 25. Today's message is entitled, Assembly Required, and, and, and yesterday was the 25th of August, so that means you have less than now four months to shop for Christmas, just if you're keeping track. So, uh, if, I know, and uh, this is not a message about how to assemble those gifts that you don't know how to assemble, but this is a message about assembling together as we do. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we have kind of this month taken a, a little bit of a side from our usual study, the, the verse-by-verse verse expositional preaching of God's Word, to tackle some issues, some questions that you have brought up, and also to go through our nine marks of a healthy church. And I just want to say this passage here is one that several of you, and you know who you are in this room, have come in the last uh, probably two months and said, what does this passage mean? And, you know, we try and plan our sermons a year in advance, and this threw a whole crux in the system because this wasn't planned. So this is, this is my Pentecostal moment, as it is, and so uh, we're just going to move forward, and uh, we are Baptists. We'll be okay because we're organized, and we're having a potluck tonight, so life is good. But uh, you will get there as well. But it is that time of year. College football season is upon us, and all the wives put their hands in their heads, and all the guys, most of which will say, yeah, you know, you know, Kansas is going to win five games this year if you're a Kansas fan, and uh, uh, Missouri's going to win ten. So uh, hold on to your hats. And and Kansas State, yes, Gail, I see you back there. It's not going to win any, so just let it be. <laughs> I'm just going to let that be what it is. But you know as well as I do, there is something about being on your home turf. When you're away on a vacation, you always long to sleep in your own bed, right? There's a time and a place you want to be home. But with college season around the corner, it is a proven fact that the home team wins more than the visiting team. And this is why that the sports people always talk about home field advantage. In fact, Sports Illustrated, this makes it real, a uh, real source, right, because it's from Sports Illustrated, says that, quote, home field advantage is no myth. Indisputably, it exists across the whole world, from Japanese baseball to Brazilian soccer, to South African, I can't even pronounce the name of the sport, to the NFL, the team hosting the game wins more often than not. Of course, uh, unless you're a Royals fan or a Chiefs fan, that applies most of the time. Amen. Well, friends, I encourage you as well, and I, I, I exhort you as well, that this also applies to our Christian life. You are in your home field advantage as a Christian right now. You are in the local assembly of the church. But praise God, Jesus has promised us in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church of God. That is home field advantage that has a perfect record and will for all of eternity. But what it also refers to is, is that God has called you to a particular place, a particular time where your home field advantage will be lived out. For those of you in this room, some who are members, attenders, or prospective members, God has put you here. But in nearly 20 years of ministry, reaching back to my middle teens, what I've observed over and over is if we don't go to church, then we cannot be the church. Uh, in Psalm 55 and verse 14, as you'll see on the screen, the old King James says it this way. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. But today, there are many believers, many Christians who say that I can be a Christian and never assemble with the people of God. In fact, the, the, the relevancy, the importance of local church going, just going to church is there. 
do you realize that less than 25% of American Christians went to church in the year 2000, whereas today there are less than 19% who go at least two times a month, but yet over 90% of people in America claim to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. Something's off, guys. And this generation has created, my generation especially, has created a, a something historical Christianity has never known. We call these people unchurched Christians. Can you say oxymoron? In contrast to this, the great theologian Cyprian said, quote, outside the church there is no salvation. That doesn't sound very Baptist. But in other words, the biblical answer to the question is who needs the church? The answer is whoever needs to be saved. Now let me be very clear. We're not saying that church membership or participation or attendance saves you. But the mark is, is that God forgives us by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Jesus alone, and he has made us stewards of the gospel. And so a person can be a church member without being a Christian? Not at all. In fact, those who, who, who identify with the church or attenders of a church will eventually get involved in that church because they know that church God has set up as his plan A for the mission of God in the world. But I'm not sure a person can be a healthy, growing, fruitful Christian without being a part of a local church assembly. And throughout history, wherever this has been practiced, Christians had a high view of church. Not a high structure, like a, 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 a liturgy necessarily, but in this day and time, going to church is seen as a second-rate thing. Well, Darren, I can go off on the, uh, in the woods and read my Bible and have a prayer, and I had church all by myself. That is not what the Bible says. There is assembly that is required. So how do we answer the question when someone says, show me the Bible verses, I have to go to church? The better answer is show me the Bible verses about Christianity that you can do apart from the church. Because, I mean, but is the Lord, I mean, is this really important? I mean, can't we just go and watch the live stream? I mean, I mean, can't we just go home and do that sort of thing in my PJs and kick my feet up? And Darren, the coffee's better at home than it is here, I'll tell you that. That's not true. Amen. Come to church. It's better coffee here. Thank you, Miss Irene, for making the best coffee every week, and Jeff Jones or whoever it is for doing that. But the excuses abound. Why do I need to go to church? Friends, I'm here to tell you the big idea today is that gathering each Sunday to worship the resurrected Lord should be an island of get-to in an ocean of have-to. What that means is that the only command given in the Bible of which we are told to do all the more is going to be found in Hebrews 10.25. All the more. While some are going away from it, you gather all the more. And it's impossible to over-encourage each other. You know, someone, I, I've heard this quote before, someone said, I experience church better without gathering with the church. That's like a husband saying to his wife, I can experience better, marriage better when I don't have to be around my wife. Oh, boy. But getting together to refocus on Jesus is going to be the greatest thing that can ever happen for you. You want to be countercultural today? Go to church. You want to be a, a living, vibrant person? Go to church. We're going to look at this in four ways today, and there are four C's coming at you because it's a good baptistic sermon. I want you to see in verse 23 the confession of salvation. Why do we come together? Because we profess a common salvation. Then in verse 24, I want you to see the communion of the saints, this gathering of us. And number three, it's a command of Scripture. It's not an optional choice. You are commanded by the Word of God in the, in the Scripture of God to come. Why? Because there's a coming Savior. 
Church, we were made to live in, 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 in insulation together, not isolation. Let me just say before we get started, there are circumstances. You know, someone's on military duty. There are people who get sick. There, there are moms who stay home to take care of sick kids. There are a thousand what you might call legitimate reasons why a person could miss church on a Sunday morning. That's not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about are people who profess the name of Christ, who are able-bodied, who are, who are not homebound, who are willing, able to come, but refuse to for some reason or another. It could be hurt. It could be something happened in the church. It could be lots of reasons, but they refuse to come. And that's why assembly is required. And again, as the last two weeks as a pastor, I look at the scripture and say, man, this is like bread and butter. You're just preaching Pastor, aren't you just preaching this to get more attendance numbers and more things? No, I, we preach this because the culture tells you not to go to church if you're a Christian. That you can turn on your podcast at home and, and have your own gathering of the saints. And I'll argue in this, this message, that is not biblically true. You can fellowship with other Christians and study your Bible on your own, and you should do those things. But the Bible commands us to come together. And friends, what a blessing that is. Tina reminded us in our prayer this morning that we have a privilege of coming together. There are more Christians gathered in China right now than there are in the Scottish Presbyterian or Baptist world, which founded the Reformation of the Puritans that came and, and started what we now know as the American church in America. But they're in the Christian nation. Why don't they go? Because it's become so routine. With that in mind, will you join me in standing as we read this morning together? And I'll frame the context after we pray and read. But Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, we're jumping midship here. We've not been in Hebrews in a long time, so there's a lot of factors, I understand, but we'll, we'll catch you up to speed in just a second. But Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, hear the word of the Lord, page 1007 in the Blue Bible. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, that's God. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I was going to say, some of y'all stir up, so stir the pot. This is a positive stirring of the pot, so you hold on to that, all right? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together as we start off today. Father, as we come before you in our time remaining, we just pray. I thank you for each one here. I know, Father, there are certainly times and places where people are unable to gather for a myriad of legitimate biblical reasons. Father, I'm praying first for my own heart, even, even if I am a pastor, Lord, that there are days and times in my sinfulness that I don't want to gather with other Christians because I know I'm in my sinfulness. Yet, Lord, we need one another. We pray that as our church continues to look at the marks of a healthy church, that this would be, as, as often as we are able the desire of our hearts. And thank you for the so many faithful folks that are traveling today, those who are here, those who are there. But we especially pray, Father, as this culture tells us time and time again that it's all about me, 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 that, Lord, you remind us that it's, it's about us before you as the community of God. Lord, as we, in a sense, preach to the old choir here, even the choir needs to be preached at occasionally, and especially the pastor. So help us, Lord, by grace. May your spirit illuminate our hearts to understand your word more, and may you encourage us as the day draws near. We pray these things, and we pray for those who haven't been faithful among us, who are members here, Lord, many of whom are affected in this family or by friends in this congregation. Father, may we love, may we point back to Christ. We pray this all, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. 
Well, it may be, have been a while since you have been in the book of Hebrews, and just let me tell you just very briefly and remind you where we are before we go to our first point, but, but the book of Hebrews is written by an anonymous author, and if you ask any seminary student who wrote the book of Hebrews, you can hear Paul, you can hear Apollos, you can hear some other, other names that come in, but we don't know who wrote it. But it was written to a bunch of at-risk, persecuted Jews who were being told that if you continue to follow this Jesus, it might mean your death. And the writer of Hebrews emphasizes over and over one key word. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the old sacrificial system. He's better than that guy you can't say quickly, Melchizedek. Uh, the Melchizedekian priesthood to get into all that stuff. But it's Jesus' blood and sacrifice is better. He's died once and for all. He is the Savior. And so on that basis, he gets to this part of the Scripture, and he starts, if you'll just go up, we, we didn't read it, but up to verse 22, he gives them several commands here with that phrase, let us. And in verse 22, he starts out, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and insurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from a conscience and washed with pure as it is. He tells them first to relate to God. And secondly, he tells them to relate to self. He says in verse 23, we'll look at in a minute, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then he tells them to gather together as other believers. And that's in verses 24 and 25 that we'll read in just a minute. So why in Scripture, if it is so clear that as believers, professing believers of Jesus Christ, if we are able to come to worship, why don't we? I mean, what do you say to a person who's ready to give up on Jesus? You, you know these people. Maybe you were there. This chapter gives a divinely inspired instruction for those who are ready to throw in the proverbial towel. They're ready to let the, the lady sing, as the old saying goes. But our text teaches us, church, that to commit yourself to a local church and to submit to the leadership is to persevere in your faith. We're not going to read these uh, or study these, but go down to verse 26 as we frame the context. Notice what happens. Notice the warning he gives them for not assembling. For if we go on sinning, verse 26, deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains for us a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Whoa, pastor, are you saying if we don't go to church, we're going to lose our salvation? That's not what I said at all. Are you saying that we're not Christian? Well, no, but the warning that God is telling us is that true believers want to be around true believers, that Christians want to be around other Christians, that there's only so long that someone can put up a religious show before they say, I'm done with it. I'm done with this. And the perseverance of the saints, that we don't lose our salvation, is tied to the per preservation of the saints. That church membership, worship together, and Christian fellowship are the primary means of growing and sustaining true believers. I have said several times in weeks previous that the cultural Christianity that you and I, many of you grew up with, you know, go to church because that's what mama wants you to do. Go to church because you're a businessman and there might be people to connect with and get another business card out to those days are long gone and have been for several years. That going to church is now one of the most counter-cultural things you can do as a Christian. Why do you pull out, your neighbor might ask you, every Sunday at 8.30, 9 o'clock? Where are you going? Going to church. 
You still believe in that stuff? Yeah. You still going? Absolutely. Because the fact is that everything you do has to do with your salvation. And this refutes those who say that church does not have anything to do with salvation. The fact that you want to go to church is proof positive that there's a flicker in there that you may know the true Christ. The pillar and foundation of our faith is that Jesus himself is Lord. And that takes us to number one, confession of salvation. Look at verse 23. He tells us here very clearly that we are to hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession of our hope? As Americans, we sing the star-spangled banner. That is our confession as a nation. But the church is a little bit different. The church's foundation is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The church, and we preached on this last April, April 2017, is that the church is where truth is taught. Church is where we gather with the saints. Truth is where when you are walking in sin, someone can rebuke you for that sin in love and grace. And the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 24 tells us, is a blessing to us. Your faith in the truth of the gospel will not stand without the church in your life. And let me just put this out there, and this, this is, I put this on Facebook for many years. But if the Lord Jesus can got up on Sunday morning and rose from the dead, we can get up and go to church. Amen? And if you have time to watch the Cornhole Championship on ESPN2 that has been recently showing, you have time to go to church, right? The most privileged and dangerous place you can be to bring about the confession, the, the showing that you believe Jesus is who he said he was, is to come to church. And what is church for every Sunday? It's for you and me. We are guilty, exhausted sinners in need of reminder that Jesus loves us so much. And no matter what we bring to him, he'll never turn us away. Or as one commentator put it, the gospel does not make sense without the church. And the church does not make sense without the gospel. Confession requires salvation. But a lot of people have a, have a disease. Did you know that? It's called morbus sabbaticus. In layman's terms, it is known as Sunday morning sickness. And what this is, is the symptoms are quite interesting. It, it never interferes with the appetite or the eyes and, and the Sunday morning newspaper or videos or watching TV. But the only symptom that people have with this is they simply can't go to church. Strangely, you don't feel it on Saturday, but when it hits the morning comes, and it never lasts more than 24 hours. In fact, when the Sunday morning service is over, the patient feels so much better. <laughs> Monday morning, the patient goes back to work, but it has a way of striking again the next Sunday around 9 or 10 o'clock. And after a few weekly attacks, it may become chronic. This is Morbus Sabbaticus. Do you know what that's called? It's called Sunday morning sickness. I'm not talking about being pregnant or anything like that. I'm talking about simply someone neglecting the coming together of the confession of saints. And I stand to tell you today, Tower of View, that we are in need to ask the great physician to heal us today once and for all from the dreaded disease that says, I can be my own Christian in my own place on my own time. I don't need to gather under the authority of the local church and the spiritual leadership therein that God has established. American Christianity has done great good around the world, but the, ex the exporting of American Christianity to cultures around the world has had one big problem. We teach people that church is an optional part of the Christian faith, and it's not. 
Friends, I understand that, you know, as pastor, this can seem very self-serving. That, well, again, you're preaching to bring people in to make them feel guilty about coming. No. As pastors, we stand before the judgment seat of God about how we each shepherd your soul. And if there is someone who is professed, especially a member of our church, who's professed to know Jesus Christ but refuses to come to the assembly, we need to know why. Because we're nosy. Spiritually, we are nosy. You know why? Because God has told us to be spiritually nosy. Do you know why we have to be spiritually nosy sometimes? Because we have to know how to lead you. We don't need to know everything, but we need to know why. Has someone hurt you in the church? Has there been something that has been said that has caused you to step away? Are you just in a crisis of faith that you don't want to own up to? What is it going on? How can we help you? And if a pastor does not answer those questions, get him out of the pulpit as soon as he steps up here because that is not a pastor you want. We want church members and people to come and say, look, we don't agree on a lot of things, but one thing we agree on is that Jesus Christ is Lord, and as often as we can gather together, we are going to do it. So you can win that top 10 attendance at the local Clay Platt Baptist Association Award? No. God forbid. So you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, secondly, in verse 24, there's not only a confession that we come together with, that, that Jesus is Lord and that he's faithful and he's coming, but secondly, I want you to notice the communion of the saints. Notice verse 24 as we read. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. I've never been to these, and some of you have lived in this area, but the great uh, California redwoods, I was surprised this week to learn this, that you know those big trees, right? They're, they're, they're three, 400 feet tall. They're so tall that you just it's amazing to look at. Has anyone ever been down the redwood forest before? We all need to take a trip to California, apparently. But they stand, and some are over 2,500 feet tall. But do you know that their roots, and I learned this this week, they're so shallow, they don't, you think these big trees have roots that go down deep and, and they're so deep you'd have to dig them for, for almost a mile down low, but that's not the case. Redwoods stood for centuries because their roots are intertwined one to another, and when one blows, the other helps, the other roots in a sense help pull them back to the right direction. And that is the way that Christians stand against the storms of life together. That we come together to do these things. That we do, as the Apostle Creed says, as the communion of the saints. But this is done both internally and externally. I want you to look at the internal disposition of Christian fellowship. You notice that word there. It's a command. Consider in verse 24. It's the same word used in Hebrews 3.1, which says, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith, of our confession. And so you must not only set your mind, according to Hebrews, on what Christ has done for you, but you must also set your mind on how you can be part of the local fellowship and serve and love and bless other Christians. And our text teaches us that Christians should set our minds on this. Constantly consider one another. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because we live in the me generation. I this, I that, me this, me that. But the command of Scripture is, is just as we're always to be thinking about Jesus, we should also be always thinking about others in our church, especially the household of faith. And, and this is an eternal reality. This is not something that is secondary. This is primary to a Christian life. Fundamentally, our geography, our social organizations, wh what money you make, has no bearing on this command. It's an eternal disposition, an eternal desire to care for the concern and compassion 
of all those who profess, especially Jesus, in your local church. So what does this mean? This means that Satan hates Christian fellowship. If there's something he could break up, it would be just that. That's what Satan's all about. Oh, man, you got this to do on Sunday. You got this to do on Sunday. Man, we're going to have no other time in the week to do it. There's a thousand excuses that Satan will throw your way to keep you from the place that God wants you to be here in the church. And true Christian love will not only lead you to attend private worship or corporate worship, but it will lead you to prayerfully consider the needs and growth and of other brothers and sisters in the church. This is a biblical emphasis to rebuke those Christians who say, well, I read Christian books, I watch Christian TV, Charles Stanley's the best pastor, and he may be, and I listen to tapes. Doesn't that matter for anything? No, but don't misunderstand me. Those are good things, and you should be listening to people who promote the gospel. But if you're able to get up and out, you must make sure that those are secondary to the gathering of the people of God on a given Sunday. Because your fellowship with God must never, never be self-centered. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own. He breaks against all sound judgment. 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. And Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. And isn't that the case with most people? They won't admit it, but they don't want to come to church because simply put, they are just selfish. Well, Pastor, you don't understand how hard I've worked during the week. Absolutely. Guys, there's times to rest. Please don't misunderstand. There are times to rest. But if you are fully able to come to church, if, 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 if someone texts you and said, hey, meet me at this place over here, let's hang out over here, and if you respond to that so quickly, but if someone texts you and said, hey, come to church at this time in this place, and, and you're just like, oh, I'm not so sure, then, then you need to check your heart. Not only will this communion be internal, but it will also be external. Notice this also in the verse, and the guys' prayer group this morning loved this verse. Uh, Richard Ream said he loves to stir the pot, so I said, good, you can stir it with other Christians as well, so uh, it'll be good. But notice what it says. After telling us to consider one another, he says to stir up one another to love and good works. Our church should be known for love and good works, and I praise God for how much that happens here. But they're not automatic parts. Every Christian's called to do it, but, but it's hard to do it. At your King James, you might see that word provoke, how to provoke other Christians. Doesn't that sound great? The pastor told me to go provoke you. You know, let's do that. Praise the Lord. Or the New American Standard says stimulate, or the NIV says spur. What are we saying? We're simply saying that the word is a word that is used for a sudden outbreak of sickness or spasms. And, and this is the same word that when Paul and Barnabas were meeting in Acts 15 about John Mark, it says that there arose a sharp disagreement among them. And so there's a negative to the word, but here it's used in the positive. It, if need be, we should irritate one another to love and good works. Ooh. Pastor sends you a letter in the mail. Pastor calls you. Someone else in the church calls you, sends you a letter in the mail, knocks on your door. Says, hey, we've been missing you. Well, how dare you call someone out? That's their time. That's their, their information. This verse tells us we are to provoke one another to love and good deeds. I pray if you see something in my life that is not godly, that even though I'm the pastor, whatever that means, that you have the, you have the biblical accountability to come and tell me that, just as I do with you. As a church, the greatest way we grow together is if we point each other out 
this way. It's not a competition. It's not, man, I gave away 100 pieces at the treasure hunt giveaway, and you only gave 99. Yes, I win. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is, do we have such fellowship with one another that when we come together, it not only internalizes with us, but we want to see that in other people. That is a church that God blesses, guys. That's the church that God calls us to as he does. So there is an external that comes with this. You need both the comfort of love and the confrontation of tough love. You need to be with brothers and sisters who think enough to, to call you out if they have not seen you participate in, in a way that brings glory to God. And this confronts those who say, church is boring. I mean, I mean, you do the same thing every week. Well, so do you every breakfast. You eat breakfast every day. Is that boring too? I don't really get anything out of it. Oh, whoa, oh, try something else. Doesn't meet my needs, pastor. So what? If you practice a spiritual discipline like church attendance solely for your personal benefit, you're robbing yourself of the benefit. Look, football, this is my second sports reference today. Ladies, if you're not a sports fan or guys, I apologize. It's on my mind. But football has been described as 22 men on a field in desperate need of rest, being watched by 22,000 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> Let that sink in. You know that guy who takes off his shirt, has the big John 360, that's what it is. But that's how most churches operate. Corporate worship is not a spectator sport where you simply show up, receive the ministry of others, you, 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 you give an offering, you say hi to a few people, you go home, you think and talk about whether the service suited your needs, you get out your scorecard instead of your knee pads, and you're touched by your emotions and your met needs. Corporate worship is not to be selfish. Corporate worship is for us together. Yeah, does the sermon need improvement a lot? I listen to myself once a week and scorecard myself more than I know, probably to a fault. Does the worship elements need to be approved from time to time? Absolutely. Those are conversations to be had. But the purpose of coming together is that we might stir one another up to say, hey, you know what, I know you're in a tough work situation, but, but can I encourage you to keep loving those people, to praying for them, to sharing the gospel with them? Corporate worship is God blessing us as we bless God. But it doesn't start there. It, it goes forward as we love one another and stir each other up. I want you to notice thirdly, not only the confession of salvation, the communion, but, but here's the command. Look at verse 25 as we trek our way through here. Verse 25. This is really where we get the command. These are all in the imperative, to use the big word. They're commands. They're not suggestions, but commands. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're going to look at the first main section of that. But if you were to ask me for one verse where it commands you to go to Scripture, Hebrews 10.25 comes to mind. Well, this verse technically does not command us to. It commands us not to forsake Christian assembly. Did you notice that? It doesn't say, hey, you, y'all, youans, go to church. It just commands the reader not to forsake, not to, not to stop it. And so the text assumes an establishment of corporate worship. It tells us not to forsake the gathering together. And, and that word neglect is, is intense. It's, 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 it's so emphatic here that it means to not abandon or utterly forsake. This word neglect is the same word that you're familiar with from Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34. Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul, that's the same word used. 
Paul used it in 2 Corinthians 4.9 where he describes himself persecuted but not forsaken. And in Hebrews 13.5, you want a life verse? It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the writer uses it in this text of Hebrews 10.25 so that we are not to forsake, abandon, or desert the gathering of the church. Every Christian should make a, a marked present when the church assembles if they are able to. And the call here is, is that attendance, this may sound, let me just be very honest here, this may sound legalistic, this may sound pharisaical, this may sound something bad, but the scripture does not see it that way. Because such a high view is warranted, because you notice that phrase there, this is called in the positive in the English terms, it's a phrase that is not necessary, but it's added in. It, you meet together, comma, as is the habit of some. So church attendance problems have been going on for a very, very long time. And that word habit indicates that there was a habitual absence. I mean, can you imagine um, a, a football player, a star football player showing up this first Friday night as we have our first major football games? That's my third reference, by the way, to sports. Can you imagine someone showing up? after not practicing all summer, after not going to spring workouts, after not doing anything, and just simply saying, hey, coach, put me in. Now, in some NFL games, if, they, if they're a big player, they're probably going to put them in, sadly, even though they haven't met the requirements. But a good sense coach will say, son, you were not here for practices. You didn't care for team meetings. You didn't follow anything that we had. Why should I put you in? Well, I'm the star. I've done this before. You're not going to win games without me. If he's a good coach, what should he say to that player? Go have a seat, son. When you're ready to get reengaged into what we're reengaged in, you can do that. But until such a time, no. The scripture is telling us here, church, is that there were some at the, and from a human standpoint, who can, who can fault them? But at, at, there were some at the cost of their life that were going to church, even though the Romans might knock on their door and say, you're a Christian, down to Nero's garden to be lit on fire or, or down to the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. But their lives were on the line. But do you understand that even though their lives were on the line, the writer of the Hebrews told them very clearly, do not give up meeting together. You know, the fastest growing church, and you know this well, uh, we have a member here whose son has served in this area, but uh, China continues to be the fastest growing church. They meet in hog pits. They meet in graveyards. Churches have met in catacombs. Why? Because they know that apart from one another, they cannot fulfill the commands to one another. But together, they can do it for God's sake. And if God did not excuse these ancient believers, even though they may have been martyred for showing up, then I know in my heart, as I look at myself, God does not excuse any sinful, selfish, silly, or superficial reasons we can come up with for not going to church. Does this mean you should attend every church meeting, function, and service the church holds? Let me put it to you this way, and Amy will put it up on the screen. If you are absent and others do not know where you are, but they are not surprised by your absence, you are probably out of the will of God on this matter. That's a hard truth, and I understand that. But if you can miss church without being missed at church, something is missing. And if you miss church without missing church, something is definitely missing. There's a story of an old elderly saint who lost his hearing and his eyes had grown dim with age, but he never stopped going to church. Don't you love those stories? Kept going and going. And one intrigued church member finally asked the obvious, 
George, why do you continue going to church when you can't hear or see what's going on? And the old man replied, I want to show everyone whose side I'm on. And that ought to be our attitude as well. Your presence in corporate worship ought to show your family and friends what side you're on. Your presence ought to show your neighbors and your coworkers whose side you are on. Your presence and your participation ought to show that you believe that Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. So not only is your presence mandatory, but I want you to see secondly in this verse, your participation is mandatory. Notice again what it says. Note the contrast that's being shown and not shown. It's, it, it's not between not neglecting the meeting and encouraging one another. The text calls us to both. It calls you to participation. Notice what it says. It says, and don't neglect meeting together as have a son, but encourage one another. That's the second time we've seen that. In verse 24, it's stir up one another to love and good deeds, but now encourage one another. And that's why it calls for your participation. Uh, Brother Dave, I was thinking of you this week. Our, our mutual friend uh, Jim Elliff has written a great article on this called uh, The God of Baal, or, or Baal. It's a play on words. It's an article written about uh, he wrote it several years ago about parents who skip church to take their kids to soccer games. That's a big thing now. Sports on Sundays is a huge thing. And I'll, I'll put that out over email, but he argues, and this is a quote from this article, but he argues that parents who skip worship, Jim Elliff, who's a pastor in our association, worship on the Lord's Day for no good reason, are teaching their children that you worship God only when it's convenient. As a parent of one who we're getting into that activity area, we were at we just had all these family all these activities yesterday, and I think I, I, Lord protect us against that. Pastor, you're the pastor; you got to be there on Sunday. True, but protect us that games don't override our worship. Protect us that 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 race that I really want to run on a Sunday morning doesn't overtake my time with the saints. Protect us that whatever it is, Lord, that faces our family doesn't overtake time with you. Yeah, my kids might fall asleep when I preach every week. But they know we're here for a reason, because Jesus is Lord. Look, there are those who forsake an assembly, even though they attend worship on a regular basis. This speaks to us who come frequently. We may neglect it when we, when we, we get to church and hang outside rather than coming in. We may neglect it when we come with a bad attitude. Well, I don't like that pastor or that, that, that pulpit or that, that cell phone he's got up there, all the silly reasons you can think. I wish he was an Android user, not an iPhone user. But one thing I know, we can be forsake the assembly when we are inhospitable, when we're critical or irreverent. We, we, we can neglect it when we pass notes, fall asleep, write or talk. We can neglect the meeting when, when we are filling out the envelope during prayer, or reading the bulletin during the sermon. Oh, did I just say that? Yes, I did, because I've done every single one of those things I just listed. God demands our presence and participation. I mean, can you imagine? Many Christians are like hitchhikers. They say, you buy the car, you pay for the repairs, you pay for the upkeep and insurance, you fill the car with gas, and I'll ride with you. But if I, if you have an accident, you're on your own. I may even sue you. That sounds like Uber and Lyft, doesn't it, right there? And that's the way many people treat the church. We say, you worship, you serve, you give, you pray, you support, and, and if you do it well enough, I'll call them along for the ride, but, but don't expect anything from me. And you know if things don't suit me, I'm going to criticize and complain and bring all the members and get a vote and do all these things. My thumb is always out for a better ride, Pastor, I can tell you that. But I submit to you that it's not God's will for us to be church-hopping hitchhikers. We are called to participate and be a member of a local assembly. 
there's a church in our area that has a great sign. I think it's, it's good intended. It says, enter to worship, depart to serve. But that's a false dichotomy. Because we are to enter to worship and serve. Then we're to leave and keep on worshiping and keep on serving. And that's what our call is. I'll close with this. Our time is short. But number four, the coming of the Savior. Why, why, why confess the salvation? Why, why commune with the saints? Why follow the command of Scripture? It's because Jesus is coming again. Amen? In every church, there are those who believe that the church meets together too much. And from a carnal-minded, flesh-dominated, self-centered point of view, I believe that's true. But notice at the end of verse 25 what he says. Why do all this stuff? All the more do this stuff as you see the day drawing near. Your Bible probably has the word day capitalized. That's intentional. It should be. It's referring to the last day, the, the day of the coming of Christ. The day where the sheep will be separated from the, 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 the goats, where the, the wheat will be separated from the chaff, where, where believers will be separated from non-believers, where God in all his justice and love and mercy will, will literally, as Matthew 10 says, throw those who reject Jesus into hell and welcome those with great presence into heaven who believed in him that day. And while some would say the church meets too much, God says we need to assemble even more than we do so that we might encourage one another. We may think it's too much to go to church as often as we can, but the Bible says that we really don't need to worry about that so we don't harden our hearts, Hebrews 3. Now, again, one survey reported that over 90% of Americans believe that Jesus will, or excuse me, 66% on this one, believe that Jesus will return someday, but less than 20% go to church on any given Sunday. Wow. If I knew my boss... If I was playing on Facebook and playing all those fun Facebook games on company time and I knew my boss was going to return any minute, I better have that alt tab pretty quick or I better learn how to do my work pretty quick too. Some of us fear our boss seeing us do something on company time more than we worry about our Lord who knows all things at all times seeing us not live for him. The imminent return of Jesus is the motivation to meet together. That phrase, meet together, in verse 25, is only used one other time. It's in 2 Thessalonians 2.1, which says, The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ being gathered together to him. What's the point? Those who expect to meet Christ in heaven ought to be meeting with other Christians here on earth. I know you know this, church. I do. Because the closer we get to his return, the worse things are going to get. And the worse things are going to get, the more we're going to need each other. There are those who talk about a great end times revival, but they don't get that from Scripture. The New Testament consistently speaks of end times where people who will claim the name of Christ falling away from the faith. You can go read about that in First Timothy. But God gives strength to those who come alongside, and that's what we're called to do. Church, where does this leave us today? And I'm going to end on this, but where does this leave us? As a church, can I encourage you as members this morning, this is not up on the screen, if you know someone in this church who is a member of this church, who wants to participate in this church, but does not come to corporate worship, can I ask you, have you asked them why? I mean this in no disrespect, because many of you know many people who are on our membership roles who are not actively here. We mean no disrespect, we mean no condescension. But if we take these words as the word of God, then we would, we would belie ourselves to do well to ask that question. Brother, sister, we notice you haven't been in church for a year, nine months, six weeks. Is there something we can pray about together? Is there, is there something we can help address? 
Brother, sister, I noticed that um, I noticed that there was something that caused you not to come this morning. Um, how can how can I help you? But at the same time, not being the 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 attendance police. Do you, do you understand that balance? There's a point of being overbearing, and there's a point of coming and believing the scripture and saying, "I, I don't know you well, but but I've, we've really missed you. Are you okay?" And they may not be okay. But do you know what happens when you get out of some? Okay, how many of y'all are still exercise? How many of y'all had an exercise goal of exercising every day back on January first? Anybody? You want to be brave? How many of y'all are still doing it? I see one hand. Kennebeth, you win. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You get it today, Kennebeth. That's awesome. I, we're going to come to your house and see what you do. But you know that when you get out of the habit of doing something, that becomes a habit, doesn't it? And so many people who are Christians who get out of the habit of church, really there, there may not be anything wrong spiritually, certainly, but there may not be anything wrong with the church or any hurt or anything like that. It may just be they've gotten out of the habit. And that's where we come together. As Jesus draws near, let our faithful fellowship be so close friends we preach to whoever is in this room god knew in eternity past you would be in this room today he knows there's some and i'm gonna look straight at this camera and say this if you are able to be at church and you're watching this live stream you need to be in church why do we believe the scripture amen do we believe it's important amen that's why what i desire what our leadership desires for this church is not anything other than that faithful followers of Christ would faithfully meet together. There is nothing more important than meeting. You can throw out every other activity, but if you are not faithful here on Sunday morning, it matters not what you do on any other day of the week because this is in the name of the church because this is what the church calls you to. Tuesday Bible studies, Wednesday night, Friday nights, Thursday nights, Saturday mornings, Saturday nights, Sundays. I don't know about Mondays. We don't. Monday night fellowship, it matters not if we meet not here together. Friends, I know those are hard words, but God gives us grace, and I pray as we go forward that our church grows in fellowship with one another, that no longer the day comes that where is so-and-so that we do our best to reach out. And let me be very clear. There may be people, even after the greatest effort, to say, I want nothing to do with you. We saw that in April 15th when we dismissed out, sadly, over 389 people off our books who said, I want nothing to do with the church. Some of them with with expletives and other things I cannot and never will say claiming the name of Christ may we love big may our arms be open wide if we need to confess sin if they need to confess sin may we do that to the glory of God even if it hurts will you pray with me this morning father as we come together we gather in the name of Christ to remember all things that you have given us which is everything Father, thank you so much. We know that uh, there are often so many legitimate reasons not to be here. Lord, and thank you for giving mothers grace with sick children or, or families grace to take care of elder, whatever, for, for those homebound who, who literally are unable to come or those who are serving in military or those who, who may be traveling or other things that are just unable to be here. But Lord, as often as we can, help us to come together, not for attendance numbers, not for counting the sheep, not for saying, well, that was a high attendance Sunday. Praise God, Lord, if you bring those things. But because of what the scripture said, that we confess, that we commune, that, Lord, we, we follow your commands because you are coming again. Father, forgive me if I have been a deterrent in that, in both myself or others as pastor. Forgive our church if we have deterred that in any way, shape, or form for those who may not be among us or who have been among us. Father, help us to do this with love and grace. 
Help us to see worshiping you, the resurrected Lord, trumps anything else because, Lord, it is you have trumped all things else once and for all for your glory, for our salvation. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand up with me as we sing our last song. The Old Rugged Cross. The Old Rugged Cross. Thank you. If you have a need this morning, come on down. If you'd like to talk about Jesus, like to pray. We'll be up front. Why don't you sing as we sing our last song, The Old Rugged Cross. <laughs>